everyone. Thank you for joining me for another bonus episode of the Spirit of Prophecy podcast. I hope you enjoy this video. If you've not seen it yet, that's on my other channel about the Eastern Gate and Bible prophecy. This week was all devoted to the prophecies of Ezekiel. And this video explains a lot of the things that we covered this week, but just a lot more information and history about the Eastern Gate that you see behind me, the fake Eastern Gate. But just an important thing to know, in case one of the prophecy preachers want to come along and go to this obscure passage in the Bible to try to convince you of a bunch of nonsense, you won't fall for it. So I uh, hope you enjoy this video. Thank you for watching. Hello, everyone. Pastor Tommy McMurcher here from Liberty Baptist Church in Rock Falls. I want to make a video for you about the Eastern Gate and Bible prophecy. Now, this is a subject that for me personally, uh, I've just been fascinated with it for a long time. You might not think it's the most important thing in the world. You might not even think this is the most interesting subject in the world. But because this is interesting to me, uh, I want to make a video about it. And hopefully it will interest some of you out there and you'll get a blessing for it. Maybe learn a little bit more about Bible prophecy. But um, if you follow my ministry, many of you know I went to Israel here real recently and I uh, had an amazing trip out there filming a documentary. I can't wait to see it until it gets done. But um, uh, when I was over there, uh, one of the things I was just really interested in going to see and getting around, uh, just for my own personal reasons, was the Eastern Gate. Now, 23 years ago, I went to Israel, and I learned a lot about this area. I took a lot of pictures of it. If you're not familiar with the Eastern Gate, um, here's a picture that I took of it uh, when I was up real close to it. Uh, I, I would take walks by myself pretty much every evening and just go see as much stuff as I could. And uh, boy, were they, was some of those walks pretty inspirational, a lot of fun, just getting to see all these places. And, uh, and you can take this however you want. You can take it good, you can take it in a bad way. But, you know, Israel, it's kind of like Disneyland for Christians and Jews uh, because we read all these stories in the Bible about Jerusalem and uh, about the temple and all these different things. And so when you're in that area, it's really cool. And there is just something really awesome about being someplace and thinking this could be where this biblical event took place. And I don't care who you are, it's neat to think about that. Now, because, you know, when you're a Bible believer, that kind of thing thrills you. There's a lot of people over there that uh, know that if we can convince somebody this is where a biblical event took place, we can make a lot of money off of them. And so understand that there is a lot of baloney out there. There's a lot of things that people are claiming uh, that it's just a fact that they know this is a place. And in reality, they they don't know. Uh, they're guessing. Some of these places might be legit. Some of them are probably completely illegitimate. And I personally believe that the Eastern Gate is extremely illegitimate. And But either way, it's something that I've always been interested in. And I've spent so much time just over the years, you know, looking at pictures of this, kind of studying the area to get to go there again and um, get around it. It was just, it was pretty neat for me. Okay. I'm going to show you some videos. You can tell I'm a little excited when I'm there, geeking out a little bit. Uh, I've, before this trip to Israel, I had probably taken a total of two to three selfies my entire life. I took a bunch when I was over there. Here's a, here's a selfie of me at the Eastern Gate. And I was, I was, I was pretty excited to be there. 
I had the whole place all to myself. I, I saw a few Muslim guys walking the opposite direction as I was walking up there. I was a little nervous when I was up there because there was nobody around. Somebody could have beat me up, and uh, I don't know what I'd have done. But I was I didn't care. I was like, I'm here. I'm going to experience these things. And man, I had a great time. A beautiful view from up there. And I'll show you that here in just a little bit. But before we get into the videos, though, okay, uh, I want to talk about a prophetic scripture that people will bring up and they will talk about the Eastern Gate because you'll notice that this gate, it's not really a gate anymore. Now, you can tell it used to be, but it's sealed up. You can't see or you can't get through it anymore. And they will tell you that's a fulfillment of prophecy. And one of these days, the Messiah is going to go through that gate again. Um, they will say that this is the gate or at least underneath it. And I'll show you a picture of that in a little bit is where the gate would have been that Jesus went through on his triumphal entry. And so uh, we're going to look at some scriptures. And what I'm going to do, I'm going to show you um, a prophecy that people say is about this gate, but I'm going to show you where they are dead wrong when it comes to this prophecy. And hopefully uh, through this video, it will help you understand some of the difficult prophetic passages from the Old Testament that I think, and I, so I, I think this is an important subject. It's one I'm interested in. If you're not interested, go watch something else. But either way, because I'm fascinated with this, I want to talk about it. So Ezekiel chapter 43 and verse one, it says, afterward, he brought me to the gate, even the gate that looketh toward the east and behold, the glory of the God of Israel came from the way of the east and his voice was like the noise of many waters and the earth shined with his glory. Now, we're not going to take the time to read this whole passage, but it talks a lot about this gate that's in the east. We have, you know, the Lord coming through this gate. And people say, you know, this is uh, a messianic prophecy. Uh, and, and I believe that it is. And it says in verse 10, it says, Thou son of man, show the house of Israel that they may be ashamed of their iniquities and let them measure the pattern. Then he said unto me, Son of man, Oh, I'm sorry, uh, verse uh, 11. And they shall be ashamed of all that they have done. Show them uh, the form of the house and the fashion thereof and the goings out thereof and the comings in thereof and all the forms thereof and all the ordinances thereof and all the forms thereof and all the laws thereof and write it in their sight that they may keep the whole, law, whole form thereof and all the ordinances thereof and do them. And so notice... That when he tells them this, in Ezekiel 40 through 48, it's given a lot of measurements. It's like all description of this temple. There's a bunch of stuff that's for the priests in there. And so, I mean, there's a lot of details in there. But I want you to notice this first because people read old many Old Testament prophecies as if there are no contingencies. And there are often contingencies in certain prophetic scriptures. And this is one of them. And it says, if they be ashamed of all that they have done. So... A lot of people are looking for a fulfillment of Ezekiel 40 through 48 as if Israel was ashamed, as if they repented, as if they accepted the Messiah. But folks, we've read the New Testament. That didn't happen. So we don't, we shouldn't be going to this passage in Ezekiel and looking for an identical fulfillment of what's described here because Israel didn't do what they were supposed to do. So um, right there is part of it, and we see a lot of references to that gate that looks towards the east. In chapter 44, it says, 
Then he brought me back the way of the gate of the outward sanctuary with looking toward the east, and it was shut. Then said the Lord unto me, This gate shall be shut, it shall not be open, and no man shall enter in by it, because the Lord, the God of Israel, hath entered in by it. Therefore it shall be shut. It is for the prince. The prince, he shall sit in it to eat bread before the Lord. He shall enter in by the way of the porch of that gate, and shall go out by the way of the same. And so when I was over there, you know, I was told how that's the gate that Jesus went through. And so Jesus, he went through it. And so since then, it's been shut. And it's not going to be opened again until he comes back. And he's going to go through that gate one of these days. And so that fact you see that gate all sealed up right there, that's a fulfillment of Bible prophecy right there. And there's been people throughout history who've tried to open that gate. And I remember they told a story about one king. I don't remember what century it was, and I cannot find this story on the internet. All right, but I, I was told this story. I'm, I'm sure it's out there on the internet somewhere. But about some king, he decided he was going to open up that gate, and he died in his sleep the night before they were supposed to open it. Hmm. You know, and so because it wasn't time for Jesus to come back yet. Well, should people be doing that? What do we do with that prophecy? And uh, before I explain exactly what we do with that prophecy about the Eastern Gate, let me go ahead and show you some videos uh, of the Eastern Gate. So understand, you know, when I heard that story, fascinated, you know, said I've got pictures of it. And so because it's always been an area of interest, I was. I was really excited when I got to go there. And so let me show you a few video clips uh, from uh, my walk to the Eastern Gate. Been trying to get as close as I can to the eastern gate, but I don't think there's any way up there. This is as close as I've gotten from this side. So yeah, I had taken a trip the night before, or maybe a couple nights before, and I tried to get up there. And every time I would like think I found a way to get up there, it would be like some access blocked. And so it wasn't until uh, after this I found I had to walk way down to the far end, and then there was a path all along there. It's actually real easy to get to as long as you go the right way. But I, I just wanted to get up as close as I could to it. I wanted to see it, just be there. And so here's a video from when I finally oh, got life. there. You can get up to the Eastern Gate. I made it. I finally figured out how to get up here. There, so as you, can, as you can probably tell, I was a little excited. Again, it's kind of like, it's kind of like Disneyland there. And so uh, here's another video uh, while I'm at the gate where I kind of showed the view from there because it's just uh, it was a beautiful view. Check this out. This is cool. Eastern Gate right here, close as I can get, fenced off right there, and you got a beautiful view of the Kidron Valley, the Garden of Gethsemane is right there. That's like the Church of Mary Magdalene. Mary's tomb, I didn't realize it was right over there. I just went and, er, over there. Went and did a tour of that. And then Mount of Olives right up there. I was just in that area somewhere filming a Bible Way to Heaven video. So this is pretty cool. I'm in a Muslim cemetery up here, kind of all by myself, little freaky, but 
they kind of give you all access around this place as long as you're willing to do the willing to do the walking i've had to do a lot of walking but 100 percent worth it all right so as you can see just very beautiful and it, it was it was a really great experience getting to see that uh but it was, it was it was a little scary being up there by myself and um when I was walking back, I, I, I'm going to show you a video of this kind of creepy site that I saw. Uh, the Jews, they go out there in that cemetery, and they do a lot of praying out there. They put these stones on top of the graves. I don't, I don't remember the significance of that, what it means, but uh, check this out. I'm not sure what's going on down there. Right there above Zechariah's tomb. a bunch of people all in black just kind of wandering around there looks really weird so there you go but anyway uh, let me just say this <clears throat> let me let me do a little commercial for something I'm hoping to do someday one of these days I am I'm thinking about trying to plan just a trip to Jerusalem um, because after spending a lot of time there um, if I could find cheap plane tickets to get out there, um, I know how you could do a trip where you could like see everything you could want to see in Jerusalem for, I mean, dirt cheap. And it's just a matter of getting over there. The hotel be the most expensive thing, but it'd have to all be done on foot. And so I was thinking about maybe one of these days trying to take a small group over there of people who are willing to do some walking. You'd have to do some walking. But uh, you do not want to drive over there. It's kind of a nightmare. But uh, I'm hoping to plan that one of these days. And I think I could probably I could probably plan literally the cheapest Israel trip that there is. And if we if you know it would just mainly be in Jerusalem, but you'd get all kinds of thrills, see all kinds of awesome sights, and spend very little money. And you would you'd get an experience like most tours don't get to. There's a lot of stuff you can't see when you're with a big group. You kind of get rushed through a lot of things, and it is. It is really enjoyable to just kind of go there, do things at your own pace, walk, and, and you can kind of go wherever you want there. Uh, it's uh, really, really neat. But anyway, so I want to show you these other videos too because uh, you can see how that gate's all sealed up. But these videos are from the inside. Now, I had never even thought to look at pictures of what the inside of the Eastern Gate looks like. So uh, when we went on to the Temple Mount area by the Dome of the Rock, uh, we went and walked over by the eastern gate because I wanted, I wanted to see the inside part and I was really kind of surprised by what I saw there. It just it didn't look like I would expect it to look. So check out this video. So right there we are on the inside where the eastern gate is. Look at all this. Okay, this is pretty cool. Oh, so this does. Well, we can go up here. Yeah. It's just a, it's a big place, man. That's huge.
So right there, that'll kind of give you some perspective on how high that area is built up. So the the actual uh, gate, you know, it sets down way lower than the ground that you're on out there. And, you know, the Muslims, they don't allow any excavating around that area. And, you know, probably because, you, know, you know, if they did, they would find a lot of Jewish stuff under there. Because uh, without a doubt, uh, they've got a lot more history there, or history that goes farther back, I guess I should say. But just super cool area and as you can see completely sealed off and so uh, let me just show you some stuff on Wikipedia to kind of give you a little history of that gate because I remember when I went over there uh, when I was younger they were talking about how you know that was the gate eastern gate Jesus went through there but then they proceeded to explain how the part of that wall and that actual gate that you could see was actually built in like the 600s hundreds of years after the time of Christ. So I'm like, well, then that wasn't the gate that Jesus went through because none of that was even there. You know, when, uh, you know, Jesus, Jesus was on earth, this came hundreds of years later. And surely when they originally built that gate, it would have been open. So, you know, I was like, well, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But uh, let me just go ahead and show you a few things from Wikipedia about this area, just to show how a lot of stuff people are saying is just baloney. So this is the Golden Gate or Gate of Mercy or the Eastern Gate. And uh, it says this gate has been sealed since the Middle Ages. Its interior can be accessed from the Temple Mount. In Jewish tradition, the Messiah will enter Jerusalem through this gate, coming from the Mount of Olives. Christians and Muslims generally believe that this was the gate through which Jesus entered Jerusalem. Now, Jesus, I do believe at his triumphal entry, went through the Eastern Gate. But this is kind of a diagram here you can see where this is what you see today and then underneath, because they always build the city on top of the old stuff, you know, this would have been where the gate is. And so I think it's very likely that there is, in fact, another gate under there like that. But again, is this the gate that Jesus went through? Is this the gate that enters uh, the Temple Mount area or was this a gate to a Roman fortress? And I think without a doubt, it was a gate to the Roman fortress. And so, you know, uh, I encourage you to look this up, but if you if you look up the, uh, uh, you know, the history on this uh, Golden Gate, you'll see that the ceiling of the gate, notice it says it was closed by the Muslims in 810. So that means it was open for hundreds of years, but it was closed in 810. And then it was reopened in 1102 by the Crusaders. And it was walled up by Saladin after regaining Jerusalem in 1187. Uh, and then it was rebuilt together with the city walls, but walled up in 1541, and it stayed that way. So you say, well, you know, what's the big deal? Well, here's the, here's the big deal. Everybody is trying to say that in Ezekiel, in that prophecy where it talks about the gate being sealed up, and it's not going to be open again until the Messiah comes. Well, when did that become true? Because throughout the centuries, that gate has been opened several times. So, you know, if they open that gate tomorrow, then it could be open for another hundred years and sealed up again. It's already happened a few times. So you're just kind of being fed baloney. And people eat this stuff up when they go over there because they want to feel like they're seeing these biblical locations, watching prophecy be fulfilled before their eyes. And it, you know, and so... I remember when I started looking at the history of that, I was just like, so is Ezekiel, you know, it, it, does that sealed up gate have anything to do with Ezekiel or not? And I'm here today to tell you it doesn't.
Okay, and so you say, okay, well, what about this prophecy in Ezekiel? Uh, what is it all about? Does it still need to be fulfilled? When is it going to be fulfilled? And without going into great detail on all these things, I am just going to give uh, my explanation of what I believe this prophecy is all about, how it can be explained. If you have any questions, you know, leave it in the comment section. Let me know. I think this is important that we understand these things because many people will use Ezekiel 40 through 48, and, he, and even they'll use stuff in Ezekiel 37, 38, and 39 to teach a lot of stuff about Israel that simply is not true. And what people need to understand when it comes to Bible prophecy, without a doubt, God always knew Jesus was going to go to the cross. That was his plan A. God always knew that the Jews were going to reject Christ. But what you have to understand is the Jews cannot disobey God unless there is something to obey. And we often don't talk about what that is. And the truth is, when they rejected Jesus, when they had him crucified, they were being disobedient to God. So it's okay to say, well, what were they supposed to do? If they had done what they were supposed to do, what would the outcome have been? And I get it. It was always going to be that way. But, you know, nobody gets mad if you say, what if Adam and Eve never ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Okay? It's, a, it's, a, it's a good conversation to have. But what we have to understand about a lot of prophecies in the Bible, some prophecies are contingent that if you obey, these things will happen. And the prophecies in Ezekiel are one of the are one of those examples. There are things that are promised to Israel if they obey. But newsflash, they didn't obey. In Ezekiel 43, and in, in verse 10, it says, This thou son of man, show the house to the house of Israel that they may be ashamed of their iniquities, and let them measure the pattern. This message was to help make them ashamed. And it says, and if they be ashamed of all that they have done, show them the form of the house and give them all these instructions. But they weren't ashamed. We see another passage in the Bible where it talks about they weren't even able to blush. Okay, that's, that's how wicked that they were. So understand, we don't have to look for an exact fulfillment of these things because Israel did not obey. They were not ashamed. And so what we're seeing, though, in Ezekiel 40 through 48, it's a lot of detail about the temple, about the measurements, about the priesthood, and about how they were going to be purified and how they were going to you know, teach the people the difference between the holy and profane. It talks about this prince, which I believe is talking about the Messiah, who's going to purify them and do all these things for them. But again, this is what's going to happen if they're ashamed. This is what would have happened if they would have accepted Jesus as the Messiah, but they didn't. But understand, this fulfillment of the prince coming through that eastern gate I believe, happened at the triumphal entry of Christ. That was Jesus doing his part. That was Jesus fulfilling his end of the deal. But understand, Jerusalem and Israel, they disobeyed. And I think a good passage to help us kind of understand what's going on is Matthew chapter 17, verse 10. says, And the disciples asked him, saying, Why then say the scribes that Elias must come first? And Jesus answered and said to them, Elias truly shall come first and restore all things. Hey, the scribes were right in what the Bible said. Elias comes and he restores all things. Then the Messiah comes. That was in the Bible. That was, that was prophecy. But notice what he says in verse 12. But I say unto you 
that Elias has come already, and they knew him not, but have done unto him whatsoever they listed. Likewise also shall the Son of Man suffer of them. Then the disciples understood that he spake unto them of John the Baptist. So Jesus said, yes, that is what the scripture said. But listen, Jews, the Jews did not do what they were supposed to do. They did not listen to John the Baptist. They killed him and they're going to do the same thing to me. So understand their rejection and disobedience is going to create a different outcome for them. Jesus still came and did his part. He came and, and fulfilled his end of things, but the Jews disobeyed. And everyone is reading Ezekiel. Everyone's reading the book of Zechariah, for example, too. And I'm not going to go into all the examples there as if Israel obeyed. But there are contingencies spelled out. These things will come to pass if you will do. And they didn't do. So we can't expect things to be exactly as we thought they were going to be. And because of their rejection because of their failure in their priesthood, because of their failure with the temple, because of the things that the sacrifices could not do, Jesus came doing his part as the Messiah, but he also brought in a new and a better covenant. And so now the promises that were given in the Old Testament that were to those who are of faith, those things can still be fulfilled, but they're all going to be fulfilled through Jesus Christ and under the new covenant, not the old covenant. They're going to be fulfilled through the sacrifices of his body, through the temple of his body, not a temple made with hands. And so we don't need to be looking for another temple. We don't need to be looking for the Messiah to come through this eastern gate as laid out in Ezekiel chapter 43 and chapter 44. We don't need to look for these things because, again, it's, you know, Jesus came in and brought in a new and better covenant where we don't need a temple in that way anymore. And so what you're seeing through Ezekiel 40 through 48, it's a very detailed um, list of things that was going to happen when the Messiah came and what he was going to do with the Levites, how they were going to offer up sacrifices and things that were going to be done with the temple. But all of those things are contingent on them obeying. Now, Malachi actually gives us a more brief description of this. And instead of reading through Ezekiel 40 through 48, let's go to Malachi chapter three and notice what it says in verse one. It says, behold, I will send my messenger and he shall prepare the way before me and the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come into his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in, behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. Jesus suddenly came into his temple at the triumphal entry. He came in bringing in that new and better covenant. And interestingly enough, you know, I'm not trying to rewrite how things work in uh, the weeks of Dan and everything, but from Palm Sunday till Resurrection Sunday, you have a week and you have Jesus bringing in that new covenant. And in the midst of the week, Jesus Christ, the covenant confirmer, by the way, Jesus Christ gets cut off in the midst of that week, doesn't he? Three days later, he rises from the dead. Uh, I think we're, we're seeing a picture right there of something just kind of a very interesting thing in a literal week of days uh all this takes place but it said but who may abide the day of his coming who shall stand when he appeareth for he is like a refiner's fire and a fuller's soap and he shall sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver and he shall purify the sons of levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer unto the lord an offering in righteousness and you say what does that look like 
Go read Ezekiel 40 through 48, and it gives a lot of details on that. Folks, that never happened. Did Jesus use the sons of Levi to offer a sacrifice when he came? No. And now a lot of people are looking for him to do that someday. No, he's not going to do that. You know why? Because with the new covenant came in a new and better priesthood. Not a priesthood after the order of Aaron, but a priesthood after the order of Melchizedek. You know why? Because the priests were the main ones that had Jesus killed. I mean, Caiaphas, the high priest, Jesus, he's the one that Jesus had to stand before and was he was condemned by. He didn't purify those guys. You know what he did? He replaced them with himself. And it says, Then shall the offering of Judah and Jerusalem be pleasant unto the Lord as in the days of old and in the former years. And I will come near to you to judgment, and I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers and against the adulterers and against false swearers and against those that oppress the hireling and his wages, the widow and the fatherless, and that turn aside the stranger from his right and fear not me, saith the Lord of hosts. He was going to come and he was going to bring judgment. He was going to purify them. He was going to take care of Israel. But then he was going to take care of their enemies. Problem is, when Jesus showed up at his triumphal entry, what happened? It says in Matthew 21, 12, And Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and said unto them, It is written, My house should be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Jesus was mad at them. You know why? Because they disobeyed. And as a result of their disobedience, you know what? They ended up losing the kingdom, and he gives a bunch of parables about the kingdom being taken from them and given to another nation. And so Jesus Christ, he brings in this new and better covenant where the sacrifices of the temple are no longer needed, where a Levitical priesthood is no longer needed. We're all priests now, Jesus Christ being the high priest. That's a part of that new and better covenant. And so sadly, even a lot of Christians they are often looking at Old Testament prophecies the same way that the Jews are still looking at them today. They are thinking these things have to be filled this way in Jerusalem with a temple. But the truth is, no, Jesus removed those things and got rid of them when he brought in the new and the better covenant. And so the prom- many of those these promises that we see in the Old Testament will still be fulfilled, but they are all going to be fulfilled through Jesus Christ. They're going to be fulfilled with the temple of his body, not with a temple made with hands. And so that's what the book of Hebrews is all about. The writer of Hebrews is assuring the Jews that following after Christ and leaving the temple, leaving Jerusalem and the things of the temple is actually obedience to the scriptures. And he's proving it, you know, from the Old Testament by showing how it's always been about faith. And so in Hebrews 13 and verse 9, a key passage right here, I want you to notice what it says. Be not carried about with divers and strange doctrines, for it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace and not with meats, which have not profited them that have been occupied therein. We have an altar whereof they have no right to eat, which serve the tabernacle. So Jewish believers, and we're included with them, He's saying, we have an altar that those who are a part of the tabernacle don't have the right to. You know what he's saying? If you are still attached to the tabernacle, the things of the temple, if you're still attached to those old sacrifices, you have no right to the altar that we have a part of. You know why? Because again, Jesus replaced all those things. We, the way we find salvation, redemption from sins, it's not through the blood of bulls and goats, but the blood of Jesus Christ. And anyone who wants to remain attached to those things, 
They don't have a right to our altar. And it says, For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. So just like those sacrifice, they would have those sacrifices where they took the sacrifice, like the scapegoat, where they go outside the camp. It says, Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. When Jesus died on the cross, they took him outside of the temple. They took him outside of those city walls, and he was killed on the outside. And now watch this. Let us go, therefore, unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. You know what he's telling the Jews here? You know what he's telling these Hebrews? Let's follow Christ outside the camp. You know what he's telling them? Leave that temple. And it was going to be destroyed not long after this anyway. The veil of the, te- the of the temple has been rent. God's done with those things. It's time to go outside and follow after Christ. Leave those things. You don't need the sacrifices anymore. You don't need the temple. You don't need the Levitical priesthood anymore. God is done with them. Let's follow him bearing his reproach. And all the Jews who followed after Christ, they suffered reproach. They suffered intense persecution from their Jewish brethren. And so it says, For here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. Listen, it was all about Jerusalem back then. But you know what the writer of Hebrews said? We don't have a continuing city here. Folks, we don't have an earthly capital. We don't have a city that we all need to go to. And by all means, if you get a chance to visit Israel, it's a cool place to visit. But religiously, we don't we don't need it. We don't have to have it. In fact, I think it's dangerous to get too attached to it. And a lot of Christians are way too attached to that city. We have been called on to follow Christ outside the camp. And let me tell you, God had that city destroyed for a reason. God prophesied that it would become heaps and it would become dens of dragons. God wanted it to be forgotten. You know why? Because he was done with it. He was looking for those who would worship him in spirit and in truth. And he told that woman, uh, that Samaritan woman, that where that time was going to come, where they're not going to say worship him in this mountain. The true worshipers are going to worship him in spirit and in truth. We do not have an earthly headquarters. Jerusalem is not our capital, not earthly Jerusalem. The book of Revelation calls that city Sodom and Egypt. And let me tell you, a lot of foolishness is being promoted there, taught there. Baptist preachers go to visit that place, come back teaching weirder prophecies, more error in their prophecy than they ever did before they went there. And people are becoming way too attached. And so we don't have we don't have a city. And it says, By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. So I don't need to sacrifice animals anymore. I can just give them the sacrifice of praise. I can do that anywhere. That is a part of the new covenant. So understand that eastern gate that just happens to be sealed up there. First off, that's not the eastern gate. That's not the right spot. That's where a Roman fortress was. Second off, it's not a fulfillment of prophecy. That gate has been sealed and opened several times throughout history. And either way, the Messiah already went through that gate. And you know what? Israel rejected him. And you know what he did? Jesus left that city. He walked outside that city carrying his cross. And he paid for sins, not in the temple. Okay? He didn't use the priesthood to take care and the sacrifice of the temple to take care of sins. He did it all 
on the cross and it's done. He's not going back to a temple and it's heresy to teach that there's this millennial temple coming that's going to be of God. The only temple that I believe is coming is the temple of the beast. A temple where he is going to declare himself to be God. He's going to declare it the temple of God when it is not. Jesus finished with those things. He finished with the city of Jerusalem. And we're looking for a heavenly Jerusalem. That's, that's what we're looking for. And you know what? People need to stop getting sold a bunch of garbage doctrine from people trying to make money on you from tours over in Israel. Yeah, I believe that's it's Israel. I believe it's Jerusalem. I think some of the places are probably legit. But I'm telling you right now, I think, and, and I, I'm not trying to discourage anybody from going over there, but I almost think a lot of these trips people take to Israel almost cause them to get more messed up on their theology. God preserved his word for a reason. And you know what he did not preserve for a reason? A city, a building, a temple. Nobody really knows for sure where these things happen. We got some pretty good ideas of where some stuff might have happened, but we'll never really know for sure. You know why? Because God didn't want us to. He didn't want us being too attached. And the Jews, even the saved Jews, we see in the book of Acts, they had a tough time letting go of that city. They had a tough time letting go of that temple. And we need to understand one of these days, the Antichrist, I do, I believe he's going to unite the world around Jerusalem again and around the temple again. And the entire world is going to spit in the face of Jesus Christ by bringing back another temple as a means of sacrifice for sins, just showing a global rejection of Jesus Christ. And I tell you right now, I'll do nothing to support that. I'll have no part in encouraging that kind of thing to happen because it's wicked. And as far as the big fights going on in Jerusalem right now, you know, who do you think the land belongs to? I really don't care. I don't really want any part of it. You know, I'm interested in the heavenly Jerusalem and taking care of people's souls. And if you want to support Israel or support Palestine, whatever you want, you can go waste your time on whatever political movement you want. But understand, you're doing nothing to promote anything biblical when you get involved in that foolishness. It has, God's done with that stuff. So anyway, I hope this was a help. Hopefully it'll help you understand some Old Testament prophecies, how to understand them, make sense of them. And uh, either way, I just wanted to share these moments from my trip about uh, at the Eastern Gate. It really was a cool experience. I'm very thankful to be able to go over there. And so I hope you all have been getting a blessing as I try to share some of these moments with you. So thank you for watching. Like and share this. And God bless you. We'll see you all later.